You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three, got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU Sports Broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. We're here to bring you unique insights and stories from the BYU Sports Broadcasters who cover the Cougars and from the Cougars themselves. Let the hype begin. Touchdown! The Big 12 open for business. That's the Big 12's hype video releasing the New Look Conference's football schedule. And BYU fans got their wish. Oklahoma, one of the most successful programs in college football history, is coming to Provo in November. And BYU will play at Texas in late October. Oh, and there are seven other Big 12 games in 2023. So I invited BYU Sports Nation producer Ben Bagley on to discuss the watchability of each game. My number one game, I initially put Oklahoma, but I'm not going to put Oklahoma. I think the most watchable game potentially on the year is BYU at TCU. It's good old whack, uh, Mount West Conference foe, so... Plenty of old-timey storylines if you want to go there. Uh, BYU is going to be coming off of a bye to take on a team that was the national runner-up. Uh, it's the newness of the Big 12, but really it's kind of worn off because it's not the first game. Uh, it's the first really good Big 12 team BYU will play this season. So if both teams do well, this could be a really – both teams do well coming into this game. It could be a good game. The only thing that I think is a downside potentially is that – TCU just blows out BYU, and that makes this game unwatchable. I don't think TCU will blow out. Now, I'm saying this in January, and Correct, we're yes. looking clear ahead to October 14th. <laughs> so so take it for with a very large grain of salt. I don't know that you see very many blowouts in the Big 12 from the BYU standpoint, or frankly, look at the schedule otherwise. There weren't a, wasn't a lot of them last year in the Big 12. This conference is built on the parity of these teams being very good. Not great teams. TCU had a great team this year, but it was kind of a storybook thing. A lot of come from behinds. But but there's just a bunch of really good teams in this conference. I think that's what makes it exciting. And I love your pick of TCU. Because of the Mountain West Conference ties, there's history there. And I think history, especially in a, game, a sport like college football, has a lot of meaning. That said, they're not my number one team. That's not my number one game. What? Although I love it. The number one game, you had it right the first time, and you should have just <laughs> stuck with it, Cleon. It's Oklahoma. For the first time ever, BYU will host P5 teams in November in meaningful get not now the in meaningful games is my addition to this, but hosting P5 teams and it's Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner, and no, it's here it. in Provo. I, I, I get it, Ben. On I senior get it. day, I, I I'll, I'll tell you. Okay, hopefully it's fourteen below zero. I, I'll tell you why I have a problem with the Oklahoma game. I'll just tell you right now. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll I'll rank it later. Um, it's the second to last game of the season. It is senior day. Um, I don't know. People might shy away from this game if BYU's really not that good. And I'm talking nationally here. I'm not talking just locally. I'm, I think there will be a lot of interest locally. I'm just wondering nationally if this is going to be like, hey, I really want to watch this game. If Oklahoma's good and BYU's kind of average, it still could be something big nationally or vice versa. I'm just not sure we're going to see that from these two teams. That, that's a fair point because Oklahoma looked pretty mid last year as well but if you think about it this way if it's not national relevant fine it may come down this will be what you got to get this game to get bowl eligible 
all of a sudden, senior day is more than just coming to watch Idaho State get the doors beat <laughs> off of them, say, having to sit through the whole stinking game so you could cheer the seniors to where it's actually a game that you want to be at more than just to say goodbye to the seniors. It's a world-class college football game. Number one watchable game. You were wrong. Wow. Just right <laughs> off the bat, he just tells me I'm wrong. Okay. Uh, number two. Here's my number two. Uh, it's Texas. Um, there's a history with BYU. This game will never happen again, kind of like the Oklahoma game that we talked about. Never, game is never going to happen again, at least as conference foes. Maybe they'll play in a bowl or something like that. Perfect time of year in Austin. It's probably going to be beautiful down there in October. Steve Sarkeesian versus his alma mater. There's that, That's a great storyline, too. I, that has to be a clear-cut number two. I could even make an argument for number one, but I would say Texas number two. The only bad thing is... Um, Actually, I don't have anything bad to say about this game. I think it's going to be fantastic no matter what. Yeah, I think this is a clear-cut number two, and I didn't want to put it that high. I really didn't. My, one of my one of my biggest concerns, and I, I get it, BYU fans, the first thing we all looked at when the schedule came out was Texas and Oklahoma. Where are they? Great, we got both of them. Now where are we going and who's coming here? Oh, cool, we got Oklahoma here. Great, we're going to Texas. Love it. We've got great success at, at, at Daryl K. Royal Stadium. Yeah, so so that's great. But my one concern about putting Oklahoma and Texas as high as I did, one, two, and I'm guilty of this, does it devalue the conference that we're in when these two are looking to get out the door ASAP? And once they're out the door, does it devalue what is left? Now, I know we're still in that baby stage, toddler stage, where everything is great in the Big 12, but these are questions you can need to ask and look down the road. I don't think it's that big of a deal because it is Texas and Oklahoma. Texas is a clear-cut number two on this list. They'd be number one if they were here in Provo. Maybe we'd have another big storm and a two-hour <laughs> delay. But I, I just I love the history there. You're right. The Steve Sarkeesian thing plays into it. I think it's just a wonderful thing. Besides that, I, I went to one of those games down down in Austin uh, a few years ago, <laughs> plus 10. Um, it was an amazing atmosphere, and I loved it. Austin was a great town, but maybe even more than that, that's one of two trips BYU's making to Texas, which I think will be huge for the Cougars when it comes to recruiting uh, in the Big 12 because you're making trips into Texas probably twice a year at least. And that's great to sell to recruits down there. Okay, what is your number three? Number three, let me look at my list real quick because it's different than yours. I know that. Number three is TCU. This is where TCU comes in. For all the reasons you said, I loved – now, frankly – I like Sonny Dykes, Gary Patterson. I loved that guy. To, to interview him, to talk to him, my <laughs> yeah. boys, we're going to go hunt. That's what my defense does. We hunt. I was like, Gary Patterson, I'd coach, I'd play for you. No, but it, I, I loved that that Mountain West relationship. And frank, frankly, I, the only re- I got TCU this high for this, but this is where I'm going to bring up the biggest miss by the Big 12 schedulers. Baylor had to be on this. You're bringing in a new team in BYU. You want to build tradition. You want to be able to build rivalries. BYU-Baylor have just played two games, split them. They're really good games, especially this last one in Provo. You made a big miss, schedulers, not doing that for another year and build that rivalry and that momentum going forward to your new Big 12 because you're going to be looking for rivalries. You're going to be looking for games like that, and you had an opportunity to build it there, and you let them off the hook. Thank you, Dennis Crane. Yes, but no, I love TCU, and I love that at number three. Okay, my number three is Cincinnati. Uh, first uh, Big 12 game in Provo, so I think that's a big thing. It's on a Friday night, so you got Friday night lights. 
it's great that the first game is against a new conference foe. At least that's my opinion. It might be good to have an older one, but I don't know. I think there's something special there, like BYU's coming in, Cincinnati's coming in. Good first game in the Big 12 um, for both these teams, at least. I shouldn't say first game, but the first home game, I should say, for BYU. So having their first home game against a new team, I think would be great. I would love it if Cincinnati's in their all-blacks for that game and BYU (laughs) is in their all-whites for that game. I think that would just really pop on the TV screen and also at the stadium. I'm not really sure there is a bad, um, especially since it's a Friday night game and it's so early in the Big 12 conference season. So that, that was my number three. Uh, my number three, my number four is going to change a little bit as we move to number four here. Okay. Is is I originally had Texas Tech here, but when I was really? doing when I was okay. doing my rankings, I realized I had this game much lower than it needed to be. I originally had it seven. Then if you look at my notes, I scribbled and moved it up to six. <laughs> and since I took the, my notes, I looked at it, I'm like, nope, it's now number four, and it's Oklahoma State because uh, they're okay. Oklahoma State. It's Mike Gunny. This is the best team in the Big Twelve. Over the past decade, not Texas, not Oklahoma. Oklahoma State has been the most consistent team year in and year out in the Big 12. And by the way, the Big 12 scheduled that on rivalry weekend. Is this going to be the BYU manufactured rivalry in the Big 12? No. <laughs> I can let me have that okay, dream, okay. Cleon, because it would be a great <laughs> game to have as a rivalry. I think there's a lot to be. I mean, I, I, I love. What Mike Gundy's done there at Oklahoma State is he's built a program. Um, they're not going to national championship games. They're not having the flashes that Oklahoma's had. They're not. They don't have the brand value that Texas had. But it's a great program, and you know you're going to face a great team every time you face Oklahoma State. So I, I slid that at originally seven. I'm jumping it all the way up to number four wow. on my list. Okay, okay. Uh, just to let everyone know, my number four was actually the Oklahoma game. I don't think I need to add anything to what Ben said. I think it's going to be a huge, a huge game, big-time atmosphere. As I said before, the only thing that worries me is that one of those two teams may not be good. My number five was OSU, uh, Oklahoma State. I agree. It's it's a team that's really kind of been like that, maybe not the name, but the standard bearer of that conference. They are always good. Last season was kind of weird at the end of the season, but in reality, Mike Gundy, is, they always have a good program. They just can't quite win that conference championship or whatever, but they always, always have a good program. You know, and he's got the mullet. I mean, how do you not like seeing that on TV or maybe even person if you're able to go there? Maybe BYU's fighting for a New Year's Six Bowl or a bigger bowl game by the time we get to this game. But it's the last. The, the thing that worries me about this game is it's the last game of the season. BYU may be fighting for a bowl or not. Could just be another college football game on Thanksgiving weekend. It may just not have the cachet that at least in January, February that we're talking about. It may not, by the time we get there, it may be just like, uh, it's not quite as good as we hoped it would be. But the other part, though, and this is something that's interesting, I think that sports fans we get behind because it's the professional wrestling uh, mentality of you need to have heroes and you need to have hills. You need to have faces and hills. Mike, Mike Gundy's a great hill. Like, yes. He's the guy that you want to cheer against. He's that, I don't like that guy. I hope his team loses. It, 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 that brings a different dynamic to that, which I think BYU fans will kind of grasp on onto and, and really like. It's okay to not like a guy and cheer against him. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that was my number five. That was your number four. What's your number five, Ben? My number five is Kansas. Um, and that's because it is the 
first Big 12 game. Normally, and I don't think I think last year I I enjoyed watching Kansas start with their streak of hot games at the first of the year, where they're national relevant, and then all of a sudden they just remember that they were Kansas, and they didn't finish as strong. But hey. They, better than we thought they were going to be, which makes that interesting. Are they going to be able to do that again next year? So I think, uh, granted, again, January, talking about September and October, but is Kansas going to be the Kansas that was in the first four games last season? Are they going to remember that they're Kansas? They need to wait till basketball season to be relevant. And I think that's kind of an interesting way to start your Big 12 entrance which is that Kansas game where there's unknowns, but you don't want them to be the ones that just spoils that first game party. Why don't you go with your number six, too? Number six. Okay, this is where i got to do some math because I slid things around. So my six is actually my seven, which is Cincinnati. Okay. Which Cincinnati, by the way, everything you, – you, you were right in that. It's, they're our brothers. Like, we're coming in with Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. I feel like there's a more of a tie, and I don't know why, maybe it's just me, with Cincinnati than there is with Houston and with UCF, who's just out there on the other side of the country. <laughs> not that not that Ohio, that Ohio and Cincinnati is really closer than Houston. It just feels closer. I felt geography, by the way. Uh, it, I, <laughs> it feels closer, and it's part, I, I just feel like there's more kinship there with that team than there is the other. So it's kind of an interesting... And it's the first home game, and there's the excitement, the pomp, the circumstance that's going to go into that game, the first Big 12 game ever at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Jets flying over, marching bands, and all that other good stuff. Oh, now, how many days till that? Yeah, it's, it's a few <laughs> weeks away. Uh, my number six is Kansas. Um, you know, BYU, it's their first Big 12 game. I think that's a reason to rejoice if you're if you're thinking about this is a big game. They could be could be three and zero heading into this game. Could be three and zero heading into this game. Um, I think they have a good chance of actually winning this game too, uh, which is a big deal. The problem is it's just what you said. It's Kansas. Um, yeah, they played better last year, but it's it's still Kansas. And if they don't beat Missouri State, Illinois. And Nevada in their first three games, I don't think many people are really going to be interested in BYU and Kansas other than maybe the BYU fans because it is the first uh, Big 12 game. Uh, I'll go to my number seven. My number seven is Texas Tech. Um, BYU will be back home for that game. They could be 3-0 in conference if they upset TCU. That's maybe a little bit of a wish. If not, it's the second home game in the Big 12 with a team they're going to fight with year in and out, year in and year out, probably right in the middle of the pack. That's usually where Texas Tech is, is right in the middle of the pack. Tech will have faced Baylor and Kansas State the previous two weeks, so they'll be battle-tested. It could be a sneaky good game to watch if both teams are on top of their game. It could be bad if neither team is on top of their game, and this is just another conference game in the middle of the season. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Tech. That that That's right there where I've got them slotted in. I just... I... I want to get excited for that game. I want there to be – Tech had this nice little run where they became relevant with Mike Leach, and they actually kept it going for a minute. But now they've just kind of taken that step back, and they're looking looking for an identity and who they are and what they're going to be. I think the new Big 12 will help them establish that identity. I think Le- Texas and Oklahoma leaving actually helps a, a team like Texas Tech in the conference – uh, and, and the standings and what they can be in the, t- the the conference, but it's just it's it's that perfect middle of the road game, and that's where it's ranked for both of us. Looks like okay, uh, your number eight, number eight, 
good old West Virginia. I I have West Virginia Mountain too. Mountain home, take me. No, that's that's. I'm mixing songs here. Take me home, country road. It is no same to song. The place yeah. I belong. John okay. Denver, Brad Paisley, whoever sings it, it's still a really really good song. And this one might actually should. I think maybe you and I missed on this, and it should be just a little bit higher. Because BYU played West Virginia, what was it, four years 20, ago? 2016, actually. Five years? Oh, six years ago? Yeah. Jeez, that's a long time ago. 2016. And I remember that game being just fun to watch. Yes, like, it, it was. It was a battle. Now, now, granted, Coach Dane is in Houston now, not in West Virginia, but it was still a really fun game. It's just that so far, like, that's going to be one thing that's going to be interesting to see how this new conference overcomes the geography of distance. They will. And once we get into it, it's going to be – Hey, no, that's our that's that's our conference foe. But for the time being and getting used to it, UCF, West Virginia, they're way out there. And so it's kind of hard to have that rivalry or that desire of thinking, hey, this is a game I really am up for. The only thing I would say that I'm looking forward to in this game is the fact that, uh, well, Keaton Slovis played at Pittsburgh last year and had some interesting things to say about West Virginia. I think that's probably the most interesting thing I think at this point of the season, BYU could be struggling for notoriety if we're going to get there. I'm interested in the game because I'm a BYU fan. I don't know how much people will be really interested in it unless somehow BYU and West Virginia are nationally uh, relevant at that point. You know, it is the game after BYU plays Texas. That's the other thing that I'm just wondering. How's BYU going to be in that game? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, so uh, moving on to finally our number nine, which I think – Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm call got, 20 here real quick. 20-second timeout. 20-second timeout. Because you just brought up something that's interesting. You don't know how BYU is going to be after they play Texas. The, welcome to a Power 5 conference. Exactly. There's always the game after the game where beforehand in Independence you'd get up for a big game – then you'd have a Mountain West team or a WAC team or a Division II team, whatever, the following week. So there's kind of that thing. You don't get that chance now. You get your first three weeks, and after that, it's the game after the game after the game after the game, yeah. which will be an interesting storyline throughout the season for BYU to see how they adjust to that. Yeah. No, it will be. Uh, number nine, uh, I think we have the same team. We do. <laughs> Ames, anyone? Uh, <laughs> Iowa State coming here. To Provo. I hope they bring the tap water. They say the tap water names is the best. <laughs> uh, my only note on this was, is BYU going to be awesome when they get to this game? Probably not. Hopefully good. Is Iowa State going to be awesome? Probably not. I just don't see people nationwide really being interested in this game. It just feels kind of like a, a, a conference game of two unranked opponents where their fan bases are going to be the only ones who are really, really, really interested in this game so maybe something will change but that's pretty much the only reason uh, that's why they're number nine on my list i should say be careful now don't sleep on the cyclones we've seen them in the last couple years now not great frankly good yes but they have been good they and, and frankly they are what byu fans if they want to be honest with themselves for a second hope byu can be in the big 12 a team that's above middle, not not really dipping below the middle, and occasionally can jump up and have that season where they're battling for a championship. I think that's what BYU fans would want and accept, and that's what Iowa State is. That said, I still have them as that last game. I love the fact that Oklahoma's coming here. I mean, that was kind of the, the number one on my wish list. I wanted to have Oklahoma visit Lavelle Edwards and 
and they're coming. So, I mean, I, I couldn't be happier. BYU basketball analyst Mark Durand is excited for the football season, but he's still focused on this current edition of the basketball Cougars. Mahaney with five and with four. Mahaney will drive, stop, fade away, score with point three. Durant told me it could be difficult for this team to turn things around and be consistently good after devastating defeats to Gonzaga and St. Mary's. I mean, you think about where BYU's at right now. They've had essentially three weeks of misery. You know, you did have one uh, win in there at home against Pepperdine, but you had just a, a total and utter gut punch in a game you had sewn up against Gonzaga, you know, a top 10 team on your home floor. Uh, that, that I mean, that will shake a team. And I think it did really affect BYU, notwithstanding that they beat Pepperdine at home. I, I think it, it carried over onto those road games where BYU just didn't seem quite like themselves, didn't rebound particularly well and didn't play great defense and lost those road games. And now you've lost the, this game to St. Mary's where you did play well. You did everything right. You played hard. Uh, you out-rebounded St. Mary's, which is amazing. And you had you had that game and, and have that lose. So it's been three weeks of heartbreak, disappointment. Um, and when you, when you lose, you, everybody's miserable. Coaches are mad and miserable. The players are miserable. And they've had to do that for like three weeks. And that puts a lot of pressure, Cleon, on – on teams and you know I don't know much about what went on but you had the three players that broke a team rule and were out against St. Mary's and I, I just the the hope is that you can with that kind of pressure to, to keep your guys together keep them believing and and really focus on the fact that listen we you know we're a, a Nats eyelash from beating two top 20 teams on our home floor in the, these last few weeks, it didn't go our way, but we're in these games. We're in every game we play. Um, let's just focus on just making the right plays at the end. We, we're, we're, it's not like there's a gap, uh, this huge gulf that we need to cross to be as good as these teams were playing. We just need to make sure we're together and playing the right kind of ball, especially late in the game and, and not, not turning the ball over and making our free throws. And we're right where we need to be. You just got to keep, pounding that home that I know it's tough right now. I know it's tough, but we're right there. We just need to get a little better and, and let's finish this thing strong. But that, that's a real challenge after three weeks of a real uh, disappointment. I thought BYU played good defense uh, coming up until like that Pepperdine, the second half of that Pepperdine game. They gave up quite a few points in the second half, but they also scored quite a few points. And then it was like the next three games, they give up over 80 points in those next three games. But then they, you know, St. Mary's does play a little bit slower, uh, but they did hold St. Mary's to the 50s. Encouraged at all by BYU getting back to maybe their defensive ways? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, those three games, even though BYU beat Pepperdine, with the, the Santa Clara and San Francisco games, I was – really disappointed. I thought BYU took some significant steps backwards because you got to remember in that Gonzaga game, they were terrific. I mean, they played a great game and before that had won a bunch of games uh, and were in a good position. Uh, and again, I, you know, that, that Gonzaga punch, I mean, that puts you on your heels and your legs are wobbling. And, and like I said, even though they beat Pepperdine, it wasn't particularly impressive. And they just didn't have it on the road. And, you know, this team, 
is not good enough offensively. They don't have the firepower offensively to just beat teams by scoring baskets. They they rely on uh, just really good defense, really energetic, and and rebounding. I mean, rebounding is so hard to do, and for them to rebound like they did against St. Mary's, it just shows a, a ferocious effort on the boards, and and that has really been what has saved BYU this year, and what has won games for them is defense and rebounding. It, it not not necessarily been scoring the basketball, and so when when they went on that road trip and didn't play good defense, didn't rebound well like they should. I mean, it wasn't a surprise that they lost, and so they they were definitely taking some steps backwards. I thought the coaching staff and the team did a nice job of refocusing on defense and rebounding, and did a heck of a job against St. Mary's, which is again why it's particularly heartbreaking to lose that game because they did almost everything right, and uh, and they still you know, lost that game, but. That, that, that's got to be the formula for them. If they want to have success, if they want to win games, it's going to start with their defense and rebounding. They just don't have quite the offensive tools they do to just beat teams scoring baskets. And so you're going to be in most games because your defense and rebounding. You're going to be in close games because your defense and rebounding. And, and you're not going to run away from teams. So you've got to find ways to really – tighten up these last couple minutes not make turnovers make your free throws and just a few small things can make all the difference in in your season as we've seen these last few weeks a couple of bounces here and there a couple of things go your way and and all of a sudden you've beaten two really good teams on your home floor and maybe the the bay area trip is a little different because you you know you have that confidence you have that momentum and, you know, you're right where you want to be. But, you know, that's the way basketball is. You, you know, you can't say what if. Um, you just have to go play the next game and realize the good things you're doing and try and correct some of those mistakes. And, and again, recognizing that this is a good basketball team. We can win against really good teams if we just, you know, play hard defense, rebound, and make the plays at the end. Who Who is this team's leader right now, Mark? I mean, who can you tell when they get on the floor – that they have control of the situation and they kind of command the respect from the other players. Does BYU have that? Who And who is that guy? I don't think they have it, Cleon, just to be frank with you. Um, uh, I think there's certainly guys at times that, that do that and are capable of doing it, but there hasn't been a consistent leader. Uh, and I think that's kind of been the problem with this team. The, the lack of consistency. I, I think Spencer Johnson's probably as close as you come to that. Um, and he's a great defender and, and really reliable, but you know, he's not, you know, a superstar guy like Alex Barcelo or Travis Hansen, or you go down the list, you know, every year you have kind of one guy or two guys that are really, really kind of your go-to guys that are un- unquestionably the leaders of the team. The problem with, I think, for BYU this year is it's been a kind of a different guy at different times. You know, Rudy played really well on the road, but uh, against, you know, San Francisco and Santa Clara, but, and Dallin played really good the other night. One night it's Spencer Johnson, one night it's Foose. And, and, and it's not bad that you have different guys stepping up to, to make, you know, have big games, but I really think it's important to kind of have that strong leader, go-to guy uh, on, on a team. And, you know, I think there's certainly guys that can develop into that. I think Dallin Hall is a guy that can develop into that. But it's just not quite where it needs to be for this team. And, and it, I think it shows at times on the floor. I do want to talk about Dallin Hall really quickly. Even though he missed that free throw in the St. Mary's game, 
I've been impressed with him. Not all of his games have been great, but I guess I've been impressed because, you know, it's his first year of college basketball. He hasn't played competitive basketball for a few years, you know, because he went on a, a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I've been I've been actually really impressed with him this year. What, what have your been thoughts what have your thoughts been about Dallin? My thoughts about Dallin are that he is uh, kind of a pure basketball player. And I really like that about him. I think he's a tough minded which is evidenced by how hard he plays and the big shots he has hit this season. He's won a couple games for BYU. And I just can't express how different it is going from high school to college. And then you throw in a a two-year mission. I mean, it's, it's crazy that he's able to perform at the level he has. I mean, I think physically missions, you know, you can overcome the kind of the physical part of it and be ready to play. But there's just no way to um, minimize the kind of, I call it basketball rust, just just not playing consistently for two years. Uh, even though the physical skills come back, just the, just the feel and the, the knowledge and how you move, it just takes a while to shake off that rust. So for him to be performing at the level he has is terrific. And you know, I'm not worried about free throws. He's struggling this year. He'll get better. I mean, earlier in the year, he was struggling from three. Now he's very consistent from three. Earlier in the year, you know, he was having turnovers, problems, and he's had a couple of those games recently, but the other night he was perfect on the turnovers and very, and he's, he's big, he's strong. He, he's bigger than most point guards and stronger, and he has a good ability to get in the paint, and he's a good post player in the paint against smaller guards. And so, I mean, listen, the sky is the limit for, for Dallin, he's he's terrific. I'm I'm not worried about a missed free throw. I mean, obviously the, you, you'd like to see those go in, and um, but he, he'll get better. And he, he's every weakness that I've seen, he's getting better at, and the strengths are really impressive. That's Mark Durant. Coming up next, Riley Nelson bids farewell to the broadcast booth. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. They adjusted same formation. It was the same thing every time, except this time they kept five players in the box, so it's five on five. Riley Nelson has been BYU football's radio analyst for the past four seasons. It's a job he campaigned for once his playing career for the Cougars was finished. But now he's decided to hang up the microphone. So what's changed in four years? Number of kids. Uh, So four years ago, uh, so family situation is different. I had a six-month-old son when... uh, when I took the job four years ago, and now we'll have our first born here in about a month, or sorry, our fourth born here in, in about a month. And my wife, you know, she handles the house and she keeps, she can manage the trips and, and things like that. Is it ideal? No. I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's best to have, you know, two parents there helping hand, especially, and that bleeds into kind of the second professionally. Um, I work as a employee benefits consultant for a firm called GBS out of Salt Lake City. And the nature of our business is I bring on, uh, as I grow my clientele, uh, that, that book of business becomes larger and demands kind of more and more of your time and resources, including for me, as I've uh, secured business outside of state, it requires some travel and as luck would have it, travel that's primarily concentrated in uh, the fourth quarter, right? Or, or the last three months of the year, which of course coincides with college football season. So, you know, um, 
so there was there was, and it happened multiple times this week. You know, I'd have to be on a plane throughout the week once or twice for work, and then I'd get home Thursday night and turn around, and have to fly out Friday for a game. And that's just again, it was manageable, but but not ideal. And then uh, you know, callings come and go for all of us, and those have varying times uh, time demands uh, for each of us, and and so that was a consideration as well. And so as I looked at it, and the amount of time that I was getting to spend with my kids, the amount of time that was dead that I needed to dedicate to my professional life. And, and then uh, the amount of time I needed to, to dedicate to serve diligently in, in the church calling, all those things just continue to put pressure in it. And, and it was, like I said, I've said again, it, it was manageable, but, but not ideal. And I felt strongly that I had to let the pressure out somewhere. And I swear to you, Cleon, I looked everywhere else. I didn't start with my gig uh, to be alongside the booth and Gre with Greg Rubel with my gig as the radio analyst. Um, but uh, the more and more I molded over and, and, and thought about, uh, you know, how can I do this or how can I do that? And fortunately it kept coming back that unfor unfortunately for me, uh, the thing that probably had to give or at least made the most, the most sense to give was uh, my role alongside Greg in the radio booth on Saturdays. What, what was the hardest decision about deciding to step down? Because as we mentioned earlier, this is something that you wanted to do and that you're now really good at. And so what was the hardest decision in deciding to step down? Yeah, I mean, you you name it. Uh, being part of game day, I still got that little bit of buzz, right? Uh, us former players, uh, I, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us are, are junkies for it, right? And being a fan, just being in their stands – you don't get that same taste, but knowing that I had to like perform granted, I wasn't strapping on a helmet and going out and executing an offense, but I still had to, you know, be on it and the prep and all those things. So game day and the game day, like atmosphere. I mean, the, the way for me to transfer my experience as a player into a different medium uh, this time being the media uh, and, and the broadcasts, that's, that's probably what I'll miss most, but right up there alongside with it, is the engagement with Cougar Nation. I, I said this in my tweet uh, thread that, that I announced it, is I thought I had uh, a feel for Cougar Nation and their passion and their dedication to especially BYU football. But, man, that changed after four years of 8.30 kicks and doing Cougar Nation now to 2 and 3 in the morning. And when we're having discussions or, or, or soliciting trivia you know, answers or, or questions to discuss on our post-game show, and there are literally, like, dozens flooding in a minute <laughs> it gives you a new appreciation for the lengths that which BYU fans will go to support their team and uh so so uh, that engagement with Cougar Nation obviously will be different and won't ever look the same and then lastly I formed very good friendships obviously with Greg and Mitch but then also Jason in the pregame and Ben Bagley in the pregame but then you know all the guys that Greg thanks McKay and Ralph and and Barry and Michael, you know, that those that's a mixture of uh, spotters, statisticians, engineers, all the crew that, that work to make that broadcast such a special thing. Uh, the camaraderie and, and friendships and relationship with those guys. I'm not going to be able to see him that much because I didn't see him in my day to day, but look forward to seeing him on game day. And now on game days, you know, I'll still be there and around the stadium, but those guys are going to be wired in work and continuing to produce the wonderful broadcast that we've all become accustomed to. How have fans taken the news? You mentioned that you feel like, you, you know, each year you've kind of gotten a little bit, or at least I, this is how I read it, you've gotten a little bit better at knowing what Cougar fans want and how much they love their team. How have they taken the news that you're like, yeah, you know, it's been a great four years, but I, I'm taking off? 
Yeah, it's been an outpouring of support. A lot of them expressed, wh whether genuine or not, but I do think most of it's genuine. They've expressed disappointment. A lot of them, uh, you know, were very complimentary of uh, the work, uh, of the product that I put into on Saturday, which for me was very nice because I did put work into my craft. You know, I, not to mention just preparing week in to week out, but I also took the time to meet with BYU coaches and players and try and get their perspective, not so much to overtly just divulge that over the broadcast, but rather to inform my analysis and inform my commentary. And, uh, and so, you know, I took time voluntarily out of my, uh, out of my schedule in spring and throughout the summer and in fall camp to, uh, you know, to educate on my team and to be able to be as, as uh, meaningful to bring as much meaningful contribution to the broadcast as I could. So it's been overwhelmingly positive. It, it makes it even tougher to, uh, to, to step away, but, Unfortunately, uh, it was uh, it was something that, that had to be done. And I'm just holding out hope. I don't know what this looks like. It probably does. These opportunities don't come around uh, very often and the circumstances around it. Um, but I hold out some hope in the future that I can be involved in some way, maybe when uh, you know, the circumstances of life uh, look a little bit different in the future. Kind of sounds like there's a, a tiny bit of fear that you may not be able to get back in. I, I I know there are other more important things out there that you could say, oh, well, I've still got this, this, and this, but maybe a little bit like, oh, if I get out now, am I going to be able to get back in again? Oh, Cleon, it's not fear. I've, I've accepted that as a reality, <laughs> and that's probably part of what weighs on my dis, on my discouragement or my sadness is to, to be able to get back in there. Um, it just, it, it's, it's not looking likely. You know, we got a bunch of young kids. We got four kids. Our oldest is five. We're not done yet. And, you know, that family planning. So that puts us in a in a. So I know that family situation, like we're not going to be out of diapers for another four or five years. You know, <laughs> now it, I've heard it does get easier from others that as as the oldest gets older and they can help out a little bit. But, you know, we're in the thick of that. So so I look forward and then you know, so if it's another four or five years, at least from raising little ones, then I look on the other side of that. And the further and further you get out in the timeline, obviously, it just gets harder and harder to predict. So I've given up that. I've accepted the fact that it's a virtual impossibility that I ever get to retake the role that I did. But like I, Cleon, I'll just, I'll just be open with you. Like I've hoped that like, Hey, maybe there could be something that I could have, you know, a spot in the pregame show and help out there or help co-host, or maybe there's a post game or this or that. And all these, I know they're just ideas that are hopeful ideas and wishful thinking for me to, to hold on to, to be able to be engaged in some form or another. And look, if I'm not engaged as part of the media or part of the broadcast broadcast crew or anything, that's okay. I still get to be very involved as, as an alumni. Everybody knows how much Coach Sitake reaches out to the alumni and, and allows them to be involved and encourages us to be involved. And I fully plan on embracing those opportunities and uh, just taking my family as a fan. I mean, that's, that's enough support and, and uh, you know, opportunity to stay engaged uh, as really one needs. So what's next for you football-wise? It sounds like you're still going to be a fan and and potentially come down to games down at Edwards Stadium. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I I don't get a free ticket in the form of a media pass every week, so I got to call down there. And I am a member of the Cougar Club, even though I haven't had tickets, so I got to see what getting some tickets looks like. And we'll take, a, you know, so we'll buy some season tickets there and, to you know, continue to take my family down to as many games as makes sense and, and do that. And, uh and that's about it. I mean, my my young my kids are still like I said, the oldest is only five. He turns six in October. 
Um, so he's still football is still not in his cards. So, but it's just raising them, getting them through school and their sports. They still do other stuff in the fall. You know, there's fall soccer leagues and my boys are into wrestling and, and, uh, and getting into some other stuff. So I'll be supporting them and in, in their different pursuits, but football specifically. Yeah. It's just uh, being there in Lavelle Edwards stadium on game day with my family and, and uh, watching the Cougars every Saturday and cheering on from the sidelines. Are you going to be uh, breaking down uh, plays for your kids and your wife if you watch games at home? Yeah, Cleon, <laughs> I got to tell you, that was a big thing. So I go boy, boy, girl, boy. So this newest one that's that's uh, that'll be here in about a month is another boy. So I have two boys and a girl right now. But my oldest boys who are three and, and or sorry, uh, five and three, uh, they're, especially the five-year-old, like he's starting to get it and he's starting to ask questions uh, but he's never been to a game with his daddy, right? So I've, I, I make the joke. I'm like, I can't have my boy getting baptized and not knowing the difference between a, what a left guard does and a will linebacker. You know, he needs to know <laughs> those differences. He needs to know that when a quarterback has a third down on eight and is in field goal range, that he absolutely can't take a sack in that scenario because he's giving up three points. He needs to find a way to either, you know, get positive yards with his feet or throw the ball out of bounds. All of those things need to be well ingrained, uh, at least by the time that he's baptized in my mind. And as good as a trooper as mom is to take him to the games, she didn't grow up necessarily in a football family. They were all volleyball, basketball players. Um, and so she's great about making sure everybody's well-fed and has got their cougar tails and their soda. <laughs> But uh, she she lacks a little bit of the institutional knowledge that you need to train up the boys in the way that they deserve to be trained up. So, yes, whether it's in the stands or at home, you can bet that there's going to be plenty of education, football education going on uh, with the Nelsons. I, I'm wondering, after spending some time at home this fall, I know she'll she'll appreciate having you in the home and being with the kids but if you get into too much breakdown of plays, I'm wondering if she's going to say, maybe you should just go back to the stadium and and, and call the game there. <laughs> yeah, except except she's been she's been uh, tuning me out for 10 years and somehow <laughs> still manages. So she's pretty good at that. Uh, uh, um, what, what, what's been your favorite game that you broadcast? And this could be anything like maybe it's how you called the game. Or maybe it's how the game turned out. What, what's been your favorite game in your four years that you're like, yeah, that's the one that I just look back in and I just have fond memories of it? That's a great question. I, I got to tell you, Cleon, it's not a specific game, but like going to Myrtle Beach or going to Lynchburg, Virginia, or I don't even remember the town in Georgia where Georgia, Georgia Southern was. Because for me, I grew up small town, right? Logan, Utah, Utah State at the time was in the Big West when I, you know, when I was coming up and then they went independent and, you know, kind of small. And so that was so it was great for me to go across the country and see that in these small towns, like it's not college football is not just Michigan and Ohio State or Alabama and Auburn or, you know, Georgia and Florida. Like college football permeates almost every almost every community at some level, right? Whether it's division one or FCS or division two or three, it touches almost every community across our country. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Obviously for me, who it was such a big part of my upbringing. And then I got to the great fortune of being lucky enough to play it and play it in some of the biggest and most prestigious venues across the country. But to also like those games were very memorable to me because it brought back like, this is, this is college football in its purest form. 
This isn't primetime ESPN with Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler on the call. These people are here because they want to support their local community. There's youth running around with jerseys who idolize these players who, when their college careers end, nobody else is going to remember them but these eight and nine-year-olds that are playing their own game of football up on the concourse of the stadium. So those are very memorable moments, and those are the ones that I hold most fond because maybe I've kind of romanticized them due to my own upbringing. But if you ask me for a singular game, for me, it comes down to a couple. Uh, I, as a player, I was there at the beginning of the streak, meaning I was a backup to Max Hall in 2009, uh, the last time that we had beaten Utah. Unfortunately, I then proceeded, you know, two games I was on the sideline for, but but then the rest of my three years, uh, we were unable to get the job done against Utah, um, sometimes in very close fashion like my sophomore, my senior year, and sometimes in ugly fashion, like my junior year, which was 54 to 10. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, I got to be part of the streak ending. So so uh, the Cougars taking care of business against Utah and breaking that long drought to get back on, on the winning track against our rivals was a very memorable moment. And then second to that is for me, I grew up, um, you know, I was in middle school, high school when USC was having their big time run in the early 2000s. And so that was like the biggest national brand for me. Reggie Bush, Linda White, Pete Carroll, Matt Leiner, you know, Mike Williams, like uh, Troy Polamalu, um, all these different players. Right. And uh, so USC has always been like that huge brand for me. And so when uh, the game against LaBelle Edwards Stadium that went into overtime, obviously Peyton Wilgar secured the victory with a pick in that 2019 season was more the, one of the more memorable ones too. But uh, I know we got time and I've already rambled on long enough. If you want my complete list, uh, I still, my memory still serves like it did as a player. I can probably go down most every game for you and recall <laughs> how it went and some details and some plays that went good and not so good. Uh, so we'll have, but we'll have to save that for another time. A big thanks again to Riley Nelson, Mark Durant, and Ben Bagley. Download and subscribe to Behind the Mic wherever you find podcasts, or listen to all episodes on the BYU Radio app. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.